today we're going to be reviewing uh, Empires of Light, Edison, Tesla, Westinghouse, and the Race to Electrify the World. Um, and it's a, a, a really amazing book. We really recommend you picking it up um, if you're really interested in learning about the history of electrification. Uh, but I think more generally, it's just a great book about sort of technological competition and how sort of big technological change uh, comes about. When I've heard this story being told in the past, well, first off, people just don't talk about Westinghouse, no, which is really all. lame because <laughs> Westinghouse is like incredible. Um, but most people talk about the story in terms of like, OK, you've got Edison on one hand, who's like the money grubbing entrepreneur. And then you've got like Tesla on the other hand, who's like the like the like scientist guy. It actually turns out that like when you look at sort of the historical record, at least the way Empires of Light tells the story, these are all three guys that actually are just mostly deeply obsessed about the technology and like deeply obsessed about science. And so what happens is that I think it's not really so much a story about, you know, business versus science. It's really about like many different ways of these people kind of pursuing progress, right? Uh, and that I think a lot of what they're doing is like, they're all kind of pragmatists, which is like, well, there's this thing called business that I use to raise money to do this interesting science stuff. Um, but everybody has their own like different way of going about it. Um, and I think that's a really interesting thing is it's not necessarily this kind of like battle of diametric opposites. It's more like different ways of doing science, I think, is the more uh, sort of nuanced way of thinking about it. We'd also like to thank Protocol Labs Ventures for making this show possible. Protocol Labs Ventures invests in startups across Web3, as well as those building on the Protocol Labs tech stack, which includes things like IPFS, Filecoin, and LibP2P. They also invest in companies pursuing breakthroughs in computing, like brain-computer interfaces. If you're a founder looking to raise a round in one of these areas, you can email funding at protocol.ai. All right, here we go. And I think we're going to start with Edison. I think a lot of the, the story starts with Edison. But I, I think even before we delve into like what of these three people are going to do in the realm of electricity, um, you know, there's this great phrase that is in that quote, which is, you know, mastering the mysterious fluid, right? Um, and I think it is worth kind of just taking a moment to like think a little bit about like how big of a deal the technology even is, right? Which is basically that like, in a pre-incandescent light world, like time literally works differently, right? Like when, <laughs> when night falls, night really falls, right? And like a lot of things literally need to stop as a result. Um, and I think what's really most uh, interesting about this technology is that electricity is sort of unique in that like it is so sort of deeply influential in some ways as a technology, right? Like this is not, um, you know, just a matter of kind of like inventing the next great social media platform or something like that. Right. Like this actually marks a shift in, you know, how people organize their schedules, like how uh, businesses can run. Right. Like it has huge implications for uh, like labor and leisure. Um, and so, you know, I think one of the things that uh, is worth kind of just taking a moment to appreciate even before we dive into the story is like the degree to which um you know, this tech is like fundamental in a way we, in, in, in how we just sort of think about like society in general. Yeah, it's easy to think that uh, how things are, are as how they were in the past and how they are now is like how they're going to be in the future. Like even if you're uh, like no kind of in the facts that they were different, but like really like electric light before electric light, the world was operated very differently and like people thought about their lives very, very differently. Yeah, totally. And I think it's a good way to start, too, because like the beginning of uh, uh, sort of not just electrification, but illumination, right, 
which in some ways you could think of as kind of like, it's the killer app for electricity, right? It's like, okay, we've got these generators. What are we going to use all this energy for? Well, maybe the first thing we can use it for is, is lighting up the night. Um, and I think that's really where this story begins because electrification doesn't start as, you know, a big ambitious project to make electricity and lights available to all. Uh, in fact, it kind of starts as like a, a really wealthy guy's plaything, right? Like the origin of this is really um, Edison, who's famous at the time, getting kind of like a commission project from J.P. Morgan. Um, I don't know if Cole, you want to talk a little bit about that. J.P. Morgan, like, you know, who founded the famous bank, uh, was the, it was his personal home was the first uh, house or anything really that was lit up by electric light. Um so we there's a there's a great quote where you kind of see how things have changed. It says, uh, the miracle of the Great Atlantic Cable flashed telegrams across the coldest depths of the ocean, where once letters from Pierpont's father, J.P. Morgan's father, uh, in the London office took weeks to arrive. Now telegrams pulsed th- through in mere minutes. Um, skipping ahead. Uh, like that spring, Morgan, who had just returned from a long European tour, had briefly put aside his considerable business concerns and announced to Edison an audacious decision. He was going to personally showcase the advantages of Edison's pioneering incandescent light and his elegant Madison Avenue brownstone, just then in the throes of top-to-bottom renovation. Morgan's Italianate mansion would become thereby the first private residence in New York to be illuminated solely by electricity. This was, of course, no simple matter. Nonetheless, the imperious Morgan wanted the electricity installed and working by the time he his wife Fanny and their three teenage children moved in that fall from their country estate, Cragston, up, to, up, the, up the Hudson River. Edison was delighted to oblige for it would be a great coup to have Morgan's personal imprimatur on what made, what many dismissed as dangerous and exotic novelty. Whatever people thought of J.P. Morgan, no one thought him a fool. Money men had learned that he was decisive, intelligent, and swift of action. And above all, he kept his word, no matter... No small matter when spectral figures like Jay Gold preyed upon the stock market. So this is a both Edison and Morgan are huge figures of the time in you know very different markets, and Edison is you know doubt, like has proved himself in some ways, but is still very much doubted uh, in the realm of electricity. Electricity is very doubted, and so Morgan's decision to you know take a leave of faith here is a huge signal of uh, of trust in this new technology. Yeah, for sure. And I think that one of the things that makes me think a little bit about, you know, to what we were just talking about a moment ago, right? Like this is the move to electricity and the move to illumination is such a big deal. And, you know, nowadays we don't really think twice about it, right? Because you just like flip on a switch and a light turns on. But um, there's a really interesting, I think, set of points here to be made about sort of like the branding uh, of a new technology um, and and basically like how something we even think of it just like a commodity today, right? Like you just like you just buy some light bulbs off of Amazon and it arrives and you plug it in and you don't really think about it. In the initial phase needs to be branded, right? That like basically people feel like electricity is like dangerous, like you said in your quote, right? It's a dangerous novelty, right? And so like part of what Edison sees as the upside of doing a, a sort of commission project for Morgan is that like Morgan's reputation will help brand electricity, right? Like if a guy like Morgan is into having his home illuminated, well, you know, maybe it's something that we can really stand on. Um, and I think that's really interesting. It kind of reminds me of like, um, you know, the rollout of electric cars, right? Where you're basically like, well, 
you know, we tried for a very long time arguing that like, we're going to make electric cars available to all. And, you know, the reason people should buy it is like, it's going to be good for the environment. And like, there's a long period where EVs just really didn't take off. And then, you know, uh, say what you will about Elon Musk, right? But like one of the insights, I think of something like Tesla is, well, we have to make this luxury. We have to make this high prestige. And like, this is how you enter the market, right? Is that so many people say, oh, well, you know, I want to be associated with this, right? Um, and, and that's a good way of kind of like rolling out a new technology, um, whether or not it is electricity or interestingly enough, electric vehicles. Especially if it's not uh, perfectly convenient at the time, like electric mm-hmm. cars uh, are, especially worth the beginning. Like electricity too um, is very different in the Morgan house than it was than it is now. Like you don't just flip the yeah, switch. Let's, let's talk about next. I think it's like it's like hilarious how inconvenient it is. Yeah. Let, let's just like recognize. Let's appreciate how insane it is that basically like uh, Morgan is basically like I really want my house to be illuminated. Could you hook me up, Edison? Mm-hmm. And what that literally implies is them building an entire electricity generation and supply <laughs> chain to yes. his house, right? It's like, like I, I need to illuminate my house, just build me like a power station. But then I guess, Cola, I don't know, you've got mm-hmm. this amazing quote, which is just about like, just like how of a, how big of a pain in the ass it is to run this thing. Yeah, it says, uh, the generator, this is from Morgan's son-in-law is writing this like, firsthand. Uh, the generator had to be run by an expert engineer who came on duty at 3 p.m. and got up steam so that at any time after 4 o'clock on, the, on a winter's afternoon, the lights could be turned on. This man went off duty at 11 p.m. It was natural that the family should often forget to watch the clock. And while visitors were still in the house or possibly a game of cards was, go- was going on, the lights would die down and go out. Then there, was a ca- then there was a careful groping about in the sudden murk to light beeswax candles and kerosene lamps. So someone, they literally had to have a guy there to power their electric lights, which is like, it's not just running on its own. Yeah, there's like a guy who's just sitting there (laughs) running this thing for you. So this system is very much still in beta. um, And, uh, you know, maybe to drive home the point of how inconvenient the system is, you know, in addition to having a guy at your house have to run the electricity, Um, There's a great story that is relayed in Empires of Light from one of Edison's employees, um, basically discussing uh, this incident where there's an electrical fire and this huge kind of like um, expensive rug was basically burned and ruined in the Morgan house. Quote, I, that is the Edison employee, had formulated an explanation and was prepared to make an elaborate excuse. Just as I opened my mouth to speak, Mrs. Morgan appeared behind Mr. Morgan. And as I caught her eye, she put her finger on her lips and then vanished down the hall. I said nothing but looked at the heap of debris. After a minute's silence, Mr. Morgan, that is to say J.P. Morgan, said, well, what are you going to do about it? I answered, Mr. Morgan, the trouble is not inherent in the thing itself. It is my own fault, and I will put it in good working order so it will be perfectly safe. He said, how long will it take to fix it? I answered, I will do it right away. All right, he replied, see that you do. And they did do the fix, and Morgan's... uh, Empires of Light goes on to write that Morgan's son-in-law wrote that the banker was subsequently so delighted with his electricity that he, quote, gave a reception and about 400 guests came to the house and marveled at the convenience and simplicity of the system. One way of almost thinking about Edison is that, like, you know, he's very interested in getting the resources he needs to do in order to push this technology ahead, push science ahead. But his his strategy on doing it is that he's a, he's a showman, right? 
he's like doing the Neil deGrasse Tyson strategy, right? Which is like, uh, how do I popularize? How do I play the cultural game? How do I manipulate social currents um, in order to like obtain the momentum and resources I need in order to like get the science to happen? And, you know, Edison basically ends up in the lead really early on. So from the business standpoint, right, like the rollout of the Morgan um, electrification system creates more and more momentum for Edison early on in this competition. And so, you know, within a few years, basically, he has started to roll out, you know, power stations and electrification to a number of different cities. Um, and I think that's kind of the backdrop on which sort of like Westinghouse um, kind of enters this story. The the introduction we get in the book to Westinghouse is from when he's 22 years old. This is in 1869. Uh, he introduced his most momentous invention to date, a revolutionary air brake that allowed the engineer of a passenger train for the first time to quickly and safely stop all the cars. Westinghouse had had a struggle finding anyone willing to back this novel and expensive venture. So we see already like the, the importance of Edison getting Morgan to help him out here. Uh, and so far, far wiser, when he finally did introduce his air brake, he staunchly refused to give the railroads licenses, saying only he would manufacture them in his small Pittsburgh works. As the young Westinghouse improved his brakes and shored up his patents, the railroads tried to circumvent and eliminate this upstart. Wrote one railroad manager to another, do you use Westinghouse and can you make any improvement upon his apparatus without his permission and cooperation? When Westinghouse felt the railroads, however powerful, were treading on his turf, he intervened forcefully, threatening patent lawsuits, usually in person. Westinghouse stopped by, passed along the railroad manager, and warned that if we try the vacuum brake, even experimentally, he will bring he will bring suit. Having seen his first patents expropriated by the railroads and his first company consequently dwindle away, Westinghouse assumed a lifelong ferocity when it came to his products and patents. So that's end quote. You get a very clear picture of who Westinghouse is as a person in this. <laughs> yeah, and I think there's kind of two interesting themes to pick up on here, you know, in contrast to like what we see with Edison, right? I mean, the first one is basically that like Westinghouse got burned really early on, right? And in some ways, um, I know Cole, if you'd agree with this, like it sort of informs his entire approach to thinking about like doing business and advancing technology, right? Which is that like in contrast to Edison, he's like, much more of a cautious figure. He's also a lot much like more secretive in some ways, right? Like, um, you know, I, I think like there is this sort of interesting thing where like Edison has this kind of like wonderkind early success um, and it makes him a lot more willing to kind of like be this public figure and like use those types of like levers to his advantage. Whereas Westinghouse kind of has this early history, which is like the reverse, right? Which is like, you know, I, I came out too early and I got basically flattened. Um, and, um, and, you know, I think there's one really interesting theme here is like the degree to which, um, you know, by nature, he's just like a little bit more cautious as a result. Um, I think the second one, which I think is really interesting is that he kind of made his name on a very different kind of technology from, from Edison, right? Which is that he's basically made his name on, okay, railroads have always been needing to brake, right? Like you have a, you have a train car on a rail, you have to brake the car at some point, Right. But his basic innovation was to say, okay, well, how do we do this better and safer, right? And so in some ways, his like kind of like insight, which will be actually quite relevant to the battle over electrical currents and electrical systems, is really kind of as an improver, right? To basically say, okay, there's this technology out in the world, you know, 
like why are people doing it in this way and is there a way it could be doing be, be done much better mm-hmm. yeah there's a, a great part of the book where he says like unlike edison who referred to to use only his own patented work westinghouse had already had long and reasonably happy experience with purchasing other inventors better ideas and improving them in his own shops basically you this is going to come back around when westinghouse finds tesla and his ac system where edison is staunchly like religiously against ac because he's a dc guy and like that's what his invention was based on um westinghouse sees this sees tesla doing it better and just immediately offers to to buy him out and it's like he's constantly kind of looking for there's like it seems like there's less uh of a point of pride in this it's more just like what is like constantly looking for the best business decision yeah, for sure. And and I think this is actually also like really, you know, relevant in some ways, right? Is that, um, well, two things, right? Like, I think one of them is that like, we have a vision of, um, you know, kind of technological advancement right now, which I think in some ways is like very attuned to kind of like the experience we've had over the last few decades around things like startups, right? We're like, a bold new technological category, you know, like the the entrepreneur as like a media figure, right? Like these are all things that were very much like, I think like much more in an Edison mode, right? Um, And in some ways, like that image is so powerful that it kind of can sometimes like fill our entire scope of vision. Um, But I think, again, in thinking about like all of the different ways that people like find the resources they need in order to move technology along or move science along, right? I think for Westinghouse, he takes, I think, very what you might call as, as much more of kind of like an engineering approach, right? Which are like, what are problems people are having? Uh, can it be done better? Uh, and and what can I do to, to, to like make that improvement, right? Which is like a very, very different starting point from someone who says, okay, we got to roll out this technology. You know, I'm going to go to the richest guy in New York and convince him to install this system. And it's occasionally going to just like burn his like expensive luxury rugs. Um, but but like it's going to be like how I'm going to roll this thing out. Um, so Cola, we're almost there, right? You 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 flag the character of Tesla, of course, who is the third big figure in this. Uh, do you want to give just a quick intro to who he is and his personality? Uh, yes, but I want to like pause, like backtrack a little bit because there's a very th- there's a very thematic quote that comes earlier in the book from um, this is Faraday quoting Benjamin Franklin, and the, I think this quote like really sums up the theme of this this whole war uh and it goes um after he had demonstrated he being faraday had demonstrated a new chemical process or opened a new electromagnetic realm and the inevitable question followed was what is its use faraday liked to quote benjamin franklin who had famously replied what is the use of an infant the answer of the experimentalist is endeavor to make it useful i think you see this attitude coming up throughout throughout this book where there's you got you're at like the brink of I'll say you're on the frontier of this new technology that's about to change the world but how exactly it's going to be used is still up in the air like it's you know you have light bulbs you can light up houses but as we'll see there's in the book you see that there's going to use like electricity for the electric chair and like a new death penalty now we have electric cars and stuff like that it's really like how how are you, these three different people, endeavoring to make electricity useful in different ways? Um, okay, now I'm going to go to Tesla. Right, Nikola Tesla is one of the, let's say, the kind of 
most eccentric of these three. Um, and the one who, like as the book says, it was truly possessed by only one great passion, the mystery of all things electric. And this starts from a quite a young age. And the story like that the, the book tells is, Tesla seemed destined only for electricity. All his life, he recalled this formative episode at age three with his beloved cat. It was dusk of the evening and I felt impelled to stroke the cat's back. Uh, his back was a sheet of light and my hand produced a shower of sparks loud enough to be heard all over the place. What was this? The young boy wondered to his father. Well, his father finally remarked, this is nothing but electricity. The same thing you see on the trees in a storm. My mother seemed alarmed. Stop playing with the cat, she said. He might start a fire. I was thinking abstractedly. Is nature a giant cat? If so, who strokes its back? It can only be God, I concluded. Day after day, I asked myself, what is electricity? And found no answer. And so his fascination with electricity starts here and it continues through elementary school where uh, he he went looking back on his schooling he says uh, it is impossible for me to convey an adequate idea of the intensity of feeling i experienced in witnessing my physics teachers ex- exhibitions of these mysterious phenomena every impression produced a thousand echoes in my mind i want to know more of this wonderful force i long for experiment and investigation he eventually moves, well, he moves to Hungary and then ends up moving to the United States to find Edison and pursue electricity. Uh, though that doesn't last very long. <laughs> <laughs> so in Tesla, I think we have like kind of like the third model for um, like how people like organize their lives to pursue science and technology, right? Um, with Edison, you have someone who's like, well, you know, the way to do it is to convince the public, right? And that's how I get my resources to go. And, you know, with Westinghouse, if you could sum it up, you know, very succinctly, it's like you you solve the hard problem, you know, you solve the problem that people have, right? And I think what's so fascinating in Tesla is maybe like the third model, which is you don't need anyone's resources. You just need your mind, basically. Like Tesla in some ways is kind of like completely unmoored to like practical considerations in the pursuit of science and technology. And I think the model he kind of represents is that like, you know, nothing is required. You don't need public affirmation. You don't need business sustainability. All you need is to kind of like pursue the inquiry, right? Um, And early on, what's so interesting is that Tesla actually is working with Edison. Um, In some ways, uh, because Edison is this kind of flamboyant character who's got this personal charisma, um, you know, uh, uh, Edison does what, you know, many modern founders do, which is that he's in some ways able to kind of like convince Tesla to come work for him um, as, a, a, as a kind of personality, right, in the space. And um, I'll read this quote from Tesla about his experience of meeting with Edison. Quote, the meeting with Edison was a memorable event in my life, Tesla later wrote. Quote, I was amazed at this wonderful man who, without early advantages in scientific training, had accomplished so much. I had studied a dozen languages, delved into literature and art, and had spent my best years in libraries reading all sorts of stuff that fell into my hands, from Newton's Principia to the novels of Paul de Kock, and felt that most of my life had been squandered. But it did not take long before I recognized it was the uh, the best thing I could have done." Uh, unquote. And uh, basically, there's kind of like a mutual appreciation. Um, so uh, uh, the Empire of Light goes on uh, to describe this kind of meeting. Quote, before him, that is to say Edison, he saw Tesla, erudite, unknown, tall, slender, formal in dress and manner, a dreamy young man, a decade his junior who expressed himself in flowery, 
heavy accented style and came across as an utter naif. He quickly nicknamed him, quote, our Parisian. Tesla recalled, quote, I was thrilled to the marrow by meeting Edison, who began my American education right then and there. I wanted to have my shoes shined, something I considered below my dignity. Edison said, quote, you will shine the shoes yourself and like it. He impressed me tremendously. I shined my shoes and I liked it. <laughs> um, and so Tesla, a young Tesla is working for Edison. Um, and um, one of the things that uh, Tesla is experimenting with um, at the time um, is this notion of alternating current. Um, and so we won't dive too much into this because I think for at least Cola and I, the most interesting part of the story is kind of the personalities. But it is useful to just quickly take a quick dip into kind of electricity uh, to explain sort of like the scientific bases of this kind of increasing competition um, that will grow between Edison and Westinghouse. Right. So the way to think about it is that uh, Edison's early sort of electrical systems all work on what's known as DC current. Right. And the thing to know about DC current is that in some ways you're sort of like pumping electricity um, from the power generation center to the endpoint. So this works. But one of the big kind of downsides of a DC system um, is that there is a lot of kind of energy loss in basically transmitting energy from the power source uh, to its endpoint. Right. And what this results in basically is that uh, Edison um, needs to build a lot of power generation centers in every single city and in every single region, because essentially the energy that you generate can't move very far. Right. Perversely, this is really great for business, though, uh, because the less efficient the system is, the more contracts you have to roll out electrical um, uh, infrastructure in cities all around the world. Now. Um, one of the things Tesla is sort of interested in is uh, a very different model of delivering electricity, uh, which is sort of the AC or alternating current system. And the general intuition behind this is that you, rather than kind of literally sort of like shoving the electricity through the pipelines, um, you're increasing the sort of relative voltage uh, that you use in disseminating the energy through the wires. Um, and the main benefit of AC is really that there's just a lot less energy loss in moving energy from the point of generation to its endpoint, right? Um, and this is really exciting because uh, you ultimately need uh, a lot less sort of energy and power generation um, uh, sort of locales. Like you, you have to create energy in less places and you can distribute that energy over increasingly further and further distances, right? So in many ways, it's the more efficient system to use. So Empire of Light puts this in a really good way, uh, discussing how Westinghouse sort of becomes interested in AC. And I think it reflects a lot of the themes that we've been talking about um, in terms of Westinghouse being someone who, you know, sort of like really approaches these as engineering problems. A quote, while others saw it, that is to say AC, as having limited application, Westinghouse immediately realized that here was something potentially revolutionary a new way to economically transfer electricity, not just to individual light bulbs, but over long distances. Right now, a DC central station had to be located in the middle of its service area. What if you could dispense with coal and steam and run electrical generators with hydropower at faraway waterfalls and use high voltage AC to send that electricity at great distance? This transformer ought to be able then to step down the high voltage AC safely before it entered the factory or office building or house." Unquote. So there's a period of time where Tesla is working within Edison's company. He's interested in AC. He kind of keeps pushing it internally. 
Um, but ultimately, this leads to a breach with Edison. Edison pushes him out of the company. So after Tesla's ousted from his company and spends about a year working, you know, just kind of wait, like wage jobs, labor work, nothing to do with his uh, original uh, electric electric pursuits. He gets recognized by one of his foremen uh, that he's, uh, quote, no ordinary laborer. So this foreman arranged to introduce the down-on-his-luck electrician, This I'm quoting now, uh, arranged to introduce the down-on-his-luck electrician to a high-level engineer at the Western Union Telegraph Company. The engineer, Alfred S. Brown, was impressed by Tesla's fervid description of his AC motor that would power the world, and he in turn introduced Tesla to Charles F. Peck, a distinguished lawyer and investor. Peck was informed enough to know that no one had yet managed to design a commercial industrial AC motor that actually actually worked. Why should he believe great deeds would come from this former junior Edison engineer and failed ArcLight entrepreneur, whose English was elegant but thickly accented? He declined even to watch some tests. But jumping ahead, he does Tesla does eventually form a new company, I believe with Brown and Peck backing him or like as partners, and um, has the opportunity to demonstrate his uh, his AC current and. AC motor that he invents. So, quote, in the spring of 1888, even as the papers began to track every instance of electrocution by wire and the Edison Electric Light Company had made known its ire with AC, the small world of New York electricians began to buzz with rumors about the former Edison man, Nikola Tesla. He was said to have reappeared and to be up to something big down on Liberty Street, filing a steady stream of patents related to an AC system. And indeed, Nikola Tesla had been wonderfully productive, churning out one new AC machine after another. And skimming ahead a little bit, uh, what AC had lacked up until now was a workable motor that it could power. Although many a well-placed inventor was struggling to solve that puzzle and cover himself in glory. Now here was Nikola Tesla, a little-known electrician of minor accomplishment, seizing that prize. So he then gives his demonstration of the AC motor. And uh, as Nikola Tesla returned to his seat, the assembled electricians comprehended uneasily and somewhat resentfully that a new titan had risen unbidden among them, eclipsing much of what they had done, making irrelevant many of their dearest labors. So essentially, he was able to simplify the motors needed to make AC travel long distances. This was like a huge technological feat that a lot of people had been working on, no one had actually accomplished. And this public demonstration became famous. And this is where, and after this, is when Westinghouse recognizes the, his brilliance um, and that Tesla's invention is better than anything that he's using and decides to buy it. So Westinghouse uh, snaps up Tesla's technology um, and begins rolling out AC systems across the country. And pretty soon, Westinghouse starts to have some very real success. Um, and Edison is pissed and the war of the currents is officially joined. And there's a bunch of events that take place during this period, um, each kind of crazier than the next. But I think in some ways it kind of represents sort of like what you might think of as kind of like the dark side uh, of Edison's way of doing science and technology, right? Which is like this person has, you know, kind of like really like learned the art of sort of public hype and public momentum as a way of driving new innovation. And it's very natural that Tesla, or that Edison, in an effort to kind of stop a competitor, is now going to use very much those same tools 
in uh, sort of pushing back against Westinghouse, even though there's a lot of reason to believe, and they're, they're ultimately, AC is going to win, right? Like we use AC systems today, um, that it is ultimately the more efficient uh, sort of system. And so the first kind of salvo in this war is kind of like a, I would say, a, a sort of like PR campaign to brand AC as the dangerous electricity. Um, one of the things that you need to do in transmitting AC um, is that you have these very high voltage wires. And unlike Edison, who took pains to bury cables underground and assure everybody that it was super safe, um, Westinghouse's rollout in an effort for speed um, basically resulted in a bunch of cities having lots and lots of overhanging electrical cables. And um, Edison's first salvo in the war is to really wage a war of words in the press to warn people about the dangers of these high voltage cables and to spread stories about people um, sort of being injured um, in, in coming into contact with this electricity. One of my favorite uh, instances of this is, uh, is around this time that the electric chair was proposed as a new, as to like replace hanging as the form of capital punishment. And when Edison was first asked for an opinion or comment, he declines to get involved. He says he's opposed to capital punishment. This is in November of 1887. One month later, he changes his mind and and then goes on to talk about how AC is the best way to do the is the best form for the electric chair. It's the quickest, most painless death. Uh, and he says, quote, can be accompanied by the use of electricity and the most suitable apparatus for the purpose is that class of dynamo electric machine, which employs intermittent currents. The most effective of those are known as alternating machines manufactured principally in this country by George Westinghouse. The passage of the current from these machines through the body, even, even by the slightest contacts produces instantaneous death. So this is like a great kind of PR moment for Edison where he is has slyly promoting AC currents, but as a as a death machine um, and to be used in capital punishment. So that's for Edison's first um, effort to do this. And it really kind of like continues to escalate. Right. So there's some evidence that Edison works with like a local activist who's basically like trying to spread disinformation about the dangers of how, uh, overhanging uh, high voltage wires. At some point, Edison is involved in the electrocution of an elephant to show how dangerous AC power is. Um, and this all kind of reaches a culmination um, in uh, an actual booklet that Edison pens uh, and that is distributed widely. Um, and it's a book that is uh, kind of, it's amazing. It's actually worth looking up online. It's basically um, this kind of like scarlet book. And the title of it simply is warning in all caps with an exclamation point at the end. Um, and Empire Light has a great description of uh, the warning booklet, which I'll read. Quote, the 84-page Edison diatribe, jacketed in angry scarlet and emblazoned with the title, Warning, served as the public, uh, official public salvo in one of the most unusual and caustic battles in American corporate history. Edison, with his DC system, was making his first open attack against Westinghouse and AC in the War of the Electrical Currents. Um, Thomas Edison, who had long and reasonably assumed that, electrical future, uh, that the electrical future was securely his, with all its glory and potential for riches, suddenly saw the famously tough, reckless, and industrially wealthy Westinghouse boldly swooping in from Pittsburgh to steal away his hard-earned prize. 
Edison would not sit back quietly and let what he saw as a dangerous system imperil not just his company, but the whole marvelous field of electricity. Um, so, and he goes on to write, um, quote, while the first half of warning was dedicated to excoriating the light bulb patent effringers, much of the second half assailed Westinghouse. The whole AC system was, quote, the most uneconomical yet offered to the public, insisted the Edison people. Once you factored in the greater efficiency of DC generators, the reliable track record of the more tested DC systems, the lack of a meter to measure AC use, and the absence of any AC motor. And now this is going to be the same year that the motor was going to come out. So that issue is uh, quickly um, invalidated or obsolesced. So Edison keeps fighting, uh, fighting the way he knows how to, which is in public and kind of getting the public on his side, getting the newspapers on his side and being kind of center of attention uh, against Westinghouse, who does not play this way. And that kind of covers up the fact that Westinghouse is and the AC system is definitely beating out the DC system at Edison in business at this point. Um, so this quote from the book kind of shows you where Westinghouse is at with, uh, with the war. It says, quote, As the war of the electric currents grew uglier and fiercer, George Westinghouse decided in the fall of 1889 to hire a Pittsburgh newspaper reporter named Ernest H. Heinrichs to promote his companies and their achievements. On Heinrichs' first day, Westinghouse came by to wish him success and explain his purpose. Quote, all I want to see is that the papers print things accurately. The truth hurts nobody, end quote. One November morning, soon thereafter, Heinrichs was installed at his desk in the brown, turreted nine-story Westinghouse building, scanning a New York newspaper with an article and an editorial attacking A.C. and Westinghouse. The young man became so incensed, he leaped up and rushed into his boss's office without knocking. Westinghouse was sitting in his big upholstered chair at the gigantic wooden dining table that served at its, as his desk. He was calmly reading that self-same newspaper. He saw, he saw that Heinrichs was agitated in what he was clutching. The Pittsburgh industrialist cocked his great head and asked Heinrichs, well, what's the hurry? Don't you, don't you think we ought to say something against these slanders and false statements? This is Heinrichs talking. Heinrichs would always remember how Westinghouse eyed him for a few seconds, the wooden wall clock above the mantel ticking through the silence. Then Westinghouse smiled. Heinrichs, they tell me you are quite a whist player. Is that so? He admitted a fondness. Well, then, you know the meaning of the expression, don't play the other fellow's game. Heinrichs found this thoroughly puzzling. What did whist, which was akin to bridge, have to do with Edison and his calumnies? Westinghouse explained, Now, seriously speaking, all this opposition to the alternating current is doing our business a great deal of good. We are getting an invaluable amount of free advertising. As a practical commercial proposal, the alternating current system is so far superior to the direct current that there is really no comparison. By keeping up this agitation about the deadly alternating current, they're playing our game, and we are taking the tricks. They hope that by their power their influence, they can accomplish the arrest of the march of progress. This, by the very laws of nature, cannot be done. As to the attacks made, by, made against me personally, of course they hurt, but my self-respect and conscience do not allow me to fight with such weapons. Besides, I feel that I feel that my moral reputation and my business reputation are too well established to be hurt by such attacks. However, I'm preparing an article for the North American Review in answer to Mr. Edison's charges against the alternating current system. But beyond that, I shall have nothing to do 
I shall have nothing to give you for publication. By letting the others do all the talking, we shall make more friends in the end than if we lower ourselves to the level of our assailants. End quote. So there's a lot of good lessons in here. And it's very, uh, there's, I think it kind of speaks for itself, but I think the don't play the other person's game is a really good takeaway from Westinghouse here. And the idea of like kind of taking the higher ground of not being, not kind of lowering yourselves to also slandering your opponents and just prove that you're better, not by saying you're better and the other person's worse, but by, by doing it and by giving it, putting out a better product. Um, and was also, what I also found interesting here kind of thematically is that he's talking about Edison as, uh, trying to stop progress and stop innovation, which is a total flip from how Edison was kind of in his early years as the inventor of the light bulb and the one pushing forward this new, uh, this new technology. He's now, you know, switched sides a bit. And instead of embracing AC as, uh, this like great new invention, this like step forward, like in progress, he's uh, trying to block it uh, in favor of something that now seems like older and outdated, which is his own invention. Yeah. And I think this is the great twist of it is that we, you know, historians call this like the war of the currents, right? But if you, you know, read Empires of Light, you, you know, look at the historical record. I think what's really interesting is that it's like, a pretty one-way war. Like the whole idea of it being a war of the currents is almost like an Edison invention, right? Because basically like the, the bullets are only flying in one direction for most of this fight. Um, and Westinghouse's strategy in his very Westinghouse way is like, I will, I will produce a very well-documented fact check in response to these criticisms, but otherwise I don't want to engage, um, which I think is so, so interesting. And you know, I think, Cole, your point's really great because I think one of the things I'm left with um, in this story is the degree to which, like, we almost shouldn't think about Edison at, and Westinghouse as kind of, like, in conflict with one another, though certainly they are. But instead, I think they actually represent different parts of the kind of, like, technological development process, which is that, like, Westinghouse would have never thought to go to Morgan and been, like, we have to create this, like, hot demo that everyone's going to be excited by. It takes someone like Edison to kind of like popularize the technology, normalize the technology socially, but like to actually turn it into infrastructure, to turn it into technology that is like ubiquitous, commodified things that everybody use is like a very different set of skills. And you get the feeling that basically the tools that served Edison so well early on in the game of electricity actually fail him later on, right? Because actually at a certain point, he's defending a system which is kind of not justifiable. And in many ways, he actually comes to like oppose um, oppose progress ultimately. Um, whereas kind of Westinghouse, this much more low key figure is not the guy you need at the early phase of the game, but becomes incredibly key in kind of rolling out the system that's necessary for the kind of electricity that we use today. Um, and so I think that there is actually this really interesting symbiosis between these two in thinking about like how major technologies happen. So in the spirit of the war of the currents, in some ways not being a real war, um, there's often there's also not like an armistice at the end of this. There's not a moment where people like shake hands and the war is over. Um, basically, technological change happens. So AC becomes increasingly popular because, as you know, Westinghouse mentioned in that quote that Cola read, is just the superior system. 
And uh, Edison is not to be shaken and keeps arguing for DC current. But uh, after a period of time, what's interesting is that Edison also becomes a, a kind of minority voice within his own company. So at a certain point, Edison's own salespeople, its own technological divisions uh, have transitioned over to selling AC current systems. Um, and Edison eventually is, is uh, pushed out of his company. He's pushed out, and then there's a, I think, somewhat forced merger with uh, between Edison General Electric Company and Thompson Houston, and Thompson Houston, which it's mentioned in the book, but we didn't we didn't really talk about it here, uh, was a manufacturing company and one of these uh, precursors, of course, to General Electric, which is the combination of Thompson Houston Electric Company and Edison Electric Company. But the end is ultimately kind of a triumph of uh, AC. I think Edison at a certain point is like, I'm no longer interested in electricity. And he like goes and rage quits onto some other like problem that he wants to work on. Um, and same, what's kind of funny is that even after all of this commercial war, you know, uh, we haven't talked about Tesla in a little bit, but he continues on with his electrical experimentation. I believe, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he doesn't get as much notoriety like further down in his life. He continues kind of his work but uh, AC system was in the motor. It was really his big breakthrough. Yeah, he kind of like he also disappears sort of from the scene. Yeah, he becomes increasingly obscure and works on like weirder and weirder and weirder projects over time. Um, so in some ways, like the story has left him kind of like unchanged. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, I guess Westinghouse ultimately kind of lives out his days as like a successful industrialist. Well, all right, Cola, well, I know we have just a few minutes left. What, what lessons do you think we take from all this? Um, I think uh, one of the biggest ones for me was uh, just that Westinghouse quote where it's like, don't play the other person's game and don't. And like, I think he can say that because he's in, of course, like a secure business position. But more than that, as he says, he has like a very strong moral reputation and business reputation. And these are both like character things. Um, I mean, he's obviously done well in his life, but he's in this position of having just good character that's well known. And that means that he can be, he can kind of relax a little bit and do what he knows is right in business and not be so worried about Edison and what Edison is saying about him. And I think it's easy, especially now uh, where, you know, news, social media are at our fingertips to like be very concerned with what everybody's saying uh, about different technologies, about your work, about you, whatever. Um, and, that's true to a lesser extent with uh, a bunch of newspapers slandering Westinghouse in his work. But uh, I think he has this like good personal foundation on which he can stand and not fall into this trap of, you know, slinging insults back and forth with, with Edison. Yeah, this is an interesting one. And obviously we could talk a, a lot longer about this, but I, you're sort of making an argument that like, like moral strength is corporate strength here. I don't know if that's really kind of what you're trying to get at. Can you imagine a situation where Edison wins here, though? Like, or do you feel like kind of like the, the arc of electricity has always bended towards AC? And so that like, you know, kind of like, like, I guess what I'm trying to ask is like, how much do you think that like Westinghouse's kind of like moral dedication is part and parcel of AC winning? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it seemed like with with uh, AC, it's just like the fact that he was willing to choose AC shows like this flexibility and adaptability, which I think also adds to like his, uh, this like foundation I'm talking about where it's not just like, you know, 
more like virtues, like just personal virtues, mm-hmm. but like, um, which in business, I mean like, you know, your integrity, honesty, like that kind of thing, um, yeah. like following through with your word. And, but, uh, also, you know, adaptability and kind of like willingness to set aside pride, which Edison clearly is, has an issue with, um, mm-hmm. to, uh, pick the best, uh, the best thing for your business. And like, because Westinghouse is constantly like open, like an adaptable to these like new technologies and just looking objectively at what is the best business, what's the best model that puts him, puts him on top. Yeah, for sure. I love that idea is that like when you, when you are saying kind of like the sort of like the virtues of Westinghouse, it's kind of like there's an alternative history where Westinghouse is a lot more ego driven and just competes with another DC system. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But you're basically saying like the selection of AC kind of like in some ways reflects like his whole approach to business, uh, which I think is like a really fascinating um, symbiosis. And and obviously I think we could talk a lot longer about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, What were your takeaways? Um, Yeah, I think my major takeaway is a little bit of what I talked about earlier is that I think a little bit about like the rollout of a technology and how at each phase different skills are needed Um, and the degree to which like um, an entertainer is almost really needed at the beginning of every technology, no matter how kind of boring we see it today. Right. Mm -hmm. Like someone has to be like technology. It's like electricity. It's incredible. Um, And like um, that actually is ends up being a really critical part of the process. Um, And and I think the really interesting question that we, I think, learned from the Edison and Westinghouse story is, um, are the people who initiate a technology, popularize a technology, are they the well-positioned ones to kind of take technology to the point of being like uh, an invisible infrastructure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and here, at least in the Edison-Westinghouse game, we have like, um, you know, maybe evidence that like, there's like certainly a case study that that's not the case, right? That actually like um, at a certain point, those figures become sort of inimical to, to, to progress. Um, and, and I think it's a really interesting question about like, okay, well, it worked out that way in technology or it worked out that way in electricity. Does it work out that way in all forms of technology? Right. Mm -hmm. Or is there kind of like, there's other case studies where basically the Edison's win and we kind of get trapped in this, like not optimal equilibria, um, because like, kind of like the community that's able to launch the technology is not the one that can kind of bring it into prime time. Mm -hmm. Well, great. Well, thanks for joining us for our book report on Empires of Light. Um, Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we'll be following up with more episodes in the near future. Thanks, Cola. Yeah, thanks so much. It's been fun.